how are you this morning? I am so glad you're here to worship the Lord with us, to celebrate his birth and to praise him uh, for the joy uh, that he has given us through Jesus Christ. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Lauren. I just want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, This is your home and or your home away from home. So make yourself comfortable. Just want to give you um, a couple highlights of things going on in the life of the church, things that you can be engaged in either personally or through prayer. Um, First, I'm so excited, January 7th begins the inaugural semester of the School of Kingdom Ministry that Faith Church is um, becoming a campus for. Um, So if you are enrolled as a student, if you're one of the almost 30 people doing that with us, um, I hope you are getting excited. And if you are not uh, enrolled in the School of Kingdom Ministry, you can absolutely be in prayer for those that are because I believe that God is going to use that school and the equipping that is going to happen in that process for our community and for the glory of God. So please be in prayer for that. Also, I wanted to let you know, I wanted to just highlight an opportunity um, to engage with the body of Christ at Faith Church through a really unique thing that we do. And we have an art guild at Faith Church, and some of you um, have participated in that, our current participants. But I wanted to highlight that ministry to you in case you did not know that was happening. Um, our art guild uh, it meets monthly, every second Monday of the month, basically to grow in artistic skill as well as recognizing God's voice in the process of creating visual art. Our God is a creative God, um, and part of that DNA is in us as well. And so this art guild is just a really fun, low-key way to connect with the Lord on that level. It's led by Deborah Thomas, and if you would like more information, just write your name um, and art guild on your Connect card and pop it in the Connect box in the back, and we will get you more details. Because that that next meeting of the art guild is January 8th. Also, um, this Wednesday, as you know, we usually have youth group on Wednesday and Bible study and all these things on Wednesday evening. This week, because it's Christmas week, this week, um, we just, uh, those activities are postponed. Just enjoy some extra family time. And uh, if you were here yesterday evening, like we were urged to do last night, just use that extra time um, focusing on Jesus, just sitting with him, you and him. All right. Well, um, I wanted to share something with you this morning. Uh, The Lord just kind of like kept pressing it on me and pressing it on me and pressing it on me yesterday. And um, I finally took the hint. And so I'm going to share some things that he's been putting on my heart uh, for you, from him for you. He's really just been drawing my attention to the relationship between two specific things. Believing God's affection for you and our willingness to take risks for the kingdom. I was, as he was bringing this to mind, um, I was thinking about the scripture, the parable of, of the talents in Matthew 25. And basically, to recap of that, Jesus uh, says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is taking a trip and left his wealth, referred to in the scriptures as talents, to be managed and cared for by his three servants. Two of the servants take what they were given and risk risk it in various ways, and by doing so, uh, increase their master's assets. But one servant took what he was given and buried it out of laziness, uh, really masquerading as fear, worried that his master would punish him if he lost it. The master returns and makes it clear that the servants who took the risks were the servants that he would continue to bless. 
over and above what they had already been given. And, you know, we don't have to dig too far into this parable to understand that the choice to risk what the master had already given the servant was the choice that led to blessing. We see from that parable that taking risks is one of the things at the center of our own growth in the kingdom. And unfortunately, you and I live in a society that is very, very uh, risk-averse, right? It's characterized by avoiding risk. So how do we increase our propensity to take risk? Here's the crux. Believing that God likes you is part of what paves the way for you to risk something for God. Have you ever noticed how your perception of what someone in authority over you thinks about you affects your actions? So say it's your boss or a parent or a teacher. Have you ever noticed how if you believe they like you, you work more diligently? Because when you believe they are fond of you, it actually brings you joy to please them. So likewise, when you believe the truth that God likes you, you'll become bolder in taking risks. Now, I know some of us struggle. <laughs> it took me a long time with this. We struggle with thoughts like, but I don't want to mess up. I hear that over and over in my own head and out of the mouths of other people, but I don't want to mess up. It took me too long to realize this, but that's a terrible way to look at God. He's not waiting to smack you. 1 John 4.18 says, Fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That's the servant, right? That's the servant that buried what he was given. He was afraid he was going to be punished, so he buried it. He's not waiting to smack you. In fact, he's waiting for you to believe that you are the apple of his eye, that he enjoys you, that you can't lose his affection, that he literally desired you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for him to be back with you. He's waiting for you to believe his affection towards you so that you are released to jump into fully living in the purpose and calling he's put on your life. As a yielded follower of Christ, part of the calling on your life is to take risks. As John Wimber said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. We've each been given spiritual and tangible gifts from God for you to enjoy and for you to bless others with. Do you want to be the guy who's so afraid to mess up that he buries the very thing God gave him to steward? Or do you want to be the guy who uses a little bit of faith and risks what he's been given in a way that says, God, I trust that you are for me and that your purposes through me are better than I could ask or think or imagine. I trust you to catch me. I trust you to lead me. Let's go. This book, you guys, this book tells you that you are his beloved. This book tells you that you are worth dying for. This book tells you that even in your sin, he passionately yearns for you. And this book tells you that you can know him fully, even as you are fully known. And if your mind right now won't believe that, Holy Spirit, I ask you right now in this moment to deliver these truths straight from your spirit, straight to their spirit, and that they would be transformed by the renewing of their minds, Lord. Renew my mind, Father. I don't know about you, but... Does this make you a little bit uncomfortable? 
like, aren't we supposed to focus on growing our love for God rather than thinking about me, me, me? Absolutely, we're supposed to grow our love for God. But if we skim over how he feels about us, then perhaps we've missed the point. 1 John 4.9 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is Christmas. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Believe God actually likes you. It's part of what paves the way for you to risk something for God and ultimately for God to accomplish his kingdom purposes in you. Ask him for help in believing what's true. Would you stand with me as we pray? Come, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. God, I thank you that, that you never leave us or forsake us, that that was your promise, Jesus. So I thank you for your presence, and I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, right now, I just bind any spirit that would want to dull our minds or hearts to your love in this place. In Jesus' name. Lord, increase our capacity. Increase our capacity to believe your heart for us so that, God, so that we are sent out in passion to a dying world with the truth and the beauty of Jesus Christ. God, let us feel your love for us that we would fully walk out your love for others, God. Lord, be honored in this place this morning. Let us celebrate you, God. Let us celebrate you with instruments. Let us celebrate you with our voices, God. And let us worship you, Jesus, and adore you in spirit and in truth. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. All right. So I just want you to know, like, we're going we're gonna to put that into practice right now. And so the band is not even getting fair warning. <laughs> so during prayer time this morning, the Lord laid a couple songs on my heart, but I didn't have time to communicate them to the band. And Lauren's talking about risk and the Lord's saying, risk it, um, do it. And so this morning during prayer time, he gave me these verses. This is risk right here, guys. <laughs> but he gave me the verse of the, the, what we know as the Magnificat. And it's Mary's song of praise. And so in the preceding verses, she's gone to visit Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is like, wow, just at your greeting, like the baby inside of me leaped for joy. So there's joy there's joy everywhere in the Christmas story before he's born, during it, and afterwards. But it says, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. And so we think about why is Mary blessed? She's blessed because she believed. What is it God's calling you to believe today? And then Mary responds and says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of this lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things 
for me. And so this morning as I pondered all that was going on and I thought Mary pondered and I went to those verses and she said, he has done great things. So we're just going to sing that chorus. I, I went back while Lauren was talking, trying to pull it in back there. So I don't know if you'll see words on the screen or not. But he has done great things. He
His one and all 
Son to save us, whoever believes in him will live forever. Let's make that our prayer. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us, whoever believes in him will live forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, in the season where we remember and we do our best to focus on the coming of Jesus, I pray that it would uh, reside even deeper in our souls, that we wouldn't simply be doing mental exercises or checking off boxes of, of the holiday season, but that we would truly focus on you as the king who came, that we would marvel at the incarnation that God became flesh. That you became like us so that we can become like you. And that right now you sit fully God and fully man at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you, that you came. And Lord, I thank you that it was great news of astounding joy that your gospel is great news of astounding joy. And I pray that we would find our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Speedster. <laughs> Stay standing. I'm not going to forget this week. 50 weeks in the Word. Uh, so for the last 49 weeks at Faith Church, uh, we've uh, read one chapter every day, different chapter every week. We've memorized one verse, and there's been one Bible study. This week's verse was in 2 Corinthians 5.17. All right, you looked at it. We memorize it. We say it together. If you didn't memorize it, don't worry about it. Just sign up. Uh, as we go into next year, and uh, we'll, uh, you can jump on the bandwagon so we see it. All right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 1 Corinthians 5.17. You may have a seat. We have our kids with us upstairs this morning, if you didn't realize that. Uh, by the, the extra noise, which we welcome. But if you're in fifth grade or younger and you would like some coloring sheets, you can come up here and get them, but you have to come up here and get them. Okay, Bennett, there you go. Oh, so now you're going to talk to me, Taylor? All right. Anybody else? Anybody else? I realize I'm short, but that's too far. Hello, anybody else? Anybody? Oh, hi. There we go. Peace, Atlas, anybody else? 
No? Get out of here, boys. Come on, Eden. There you go. Anybody else? No? All right. Good. Good, good. We're uh, in our uh, fourth message in our series, Anti-Christmas and Rebelling Against the Christmas Culture. Amy, can you hand me my walk? And ants and rebelling against culture. We've defined Christmas culture for our purposes as the takeover of Christmas uh, from a reverent holy holiday to one of consumerism. And we've been tackling all these other things that it has become known as. The first week we dealt with excess and what, uh, what we do uh, in, face, in the face of the excess of the Christmas culture, the anxiety that it might bring. Last week, or last night, rather, um, we talked about the wrong, having the wrong focus and what having the right focus on God is and what it means. This morning, we're going to talk about finding joy. And uh, we'll do some definitions and fruits of the Spirit and jump into that. And then next week, because Advent was a season of waiting, uh, it mirrors Israel waiting for the Messiah to come. On uh, next Sunday morning, I'm going to be talking about uh, how we wait for the final coming of Jesus. Um, And uh, we're not going to put it up on the podcast. We might live stream it uh, on YouTube. Um, But uh, so you're going to have to be here if you really want access to the message, because I'm going to say some stuff that I'm not 100% sure about, and uh, uh, we'll just go from there. Uh, So next Sunday morning, that's what we're going to do. But like I said this morning, we're going to talk about finding joy. So we've gone through our targets. If you want to read with me, uh, we're in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Our fourth target is I kind of made up a word. I do that on occasion. Uh, It's un- joyousness. Because I, I, I looked up, I went, I look, I went, I know how to use Google. I went to Google and I put um, antonyms of joy. And none of them really fit what the, the feeling that, that we get. So, like it was despair. And yes, that's the opposite of joy. And depression is the opposite of joy. They were all these dire feelings, these really deep, difficult feelings. And those are real, and we're not denying them, but I'm not talking about necessarily that this morning. What I'm talking more about this morning is just this feeling that we get around the holiday season where uh, I don't know about you, uh, maybe you're just at that point where you're just like, I just wish Christmas could be over now. I'm not, I got nothing out of this. Opening presents will bring, will bring me happiness for 30 minutes, but I just don't feel the, the joy because when we focus on the Christmas culture, as we've defined it, it's, it's easy to lose our joy. Right? It's easy to, and, and the news does their best to try to get us to feel better. There'll always be some feel-good story about somebody buying presents for their whole neighborhood. Like Shaq famously fills up U-Hauls and goes to his old neighborhood in, in Southern California. There's these good feelings that can happen But it's easy to lose sight of that when we're struggling, when we're uh, having difficulty. We feel like we've just lost our joy. And most of that, most of that, and what I'm going to present to you this morning, is that most of that's because we focus on ourselves. 
Right? I mean, there are, there are some people, not everybody, but some people, and I think it's the minority, where they get more joy out of giving a gift than uh, receiving a gift. I'm not really that person. I get more joy in receiving the gift. I'll just be honest with you, okay? So, like, like giving gifts is, oh, man, sometimes, I, <laughs> you know what's the most difficult for me is stockings, like, I'm a grown man. I don't really need a stocking, but it's tradition in my family that everybody gets stocking, even the freaking pets. <laughs> and I have so much trouble, so much trouble buying gifts for stockings and other things. But, you know, I like to receive. So that's how I contribute to Christmas, by joy and receiving. Look, <laughs> joy is to be a normal part of a follower of Jesus because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're in Galatians uh, chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 16 through 24. And here's what it says. But I say to you, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So uh, Paul sets up this, this uh, contrasting uh, dichotomy in our lives where uh, there is one thing at war with another thing, right? And in this case, the things that are war are the spirit inside of you and the flesh. And Paul says that they will be constantly at war with each other because the things that our flesh wants is against the things of the Spirit. So those things that you desire that you know are wrong, those things that you want, those, that tendency to focus on yourself, that tendency to go to the addiction, that tendency to go to these things that are not godly, right? Those are warring against the Spirit inside of you right now. So every time you're struggling in this sin, you are engaged in war. They are against those. They are opposed to one another. And they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. How many things do you want to do that you just cannot seemingly get your, your flesh to go along with what your spirit wants? And so Paul's saying this battle and this fight is constantly going on in you. And the works of the flesh, look, they're actions. They are, they are things that we do. They are carried out actions. And it's clear, Paul uses the word evident, that they're not of God. 
Like for the most part, we know when we sin. And, and what Paul does here when he gives this list is, is he, he hits all of the big things. And then he also hits the little things. Because some of these we look at and it's like, oh, we don't, we don't really do that. Like idolatry, I haven't bowed down to any false gods lately. Haven't worshipped at a golden calf in the past couple weeks. Sorcery, I haven't been messing with any of that stuff. I don't have my little wand trying to cast spells, right? But then he also gets to this stuff that, that man, just seems to be part of every day. Jealousy or envy. Bits of anger. And so when we engage in those things, that, in, that, in that part of us, in that central part, the Bible kind of calls it our guts, right? We know it's wrong. And so much of our Christian life is spent just trying to fight that. And the problem is, is that we try to fight it so many times through our own willpower, through our own strength, through all the things that we can muster up and all the things that we can do. And Paul says, that's not going to work. Because he says at the beginning in verse 16, he says, if you walk by the Spirit, then you won't satisfy the desires of the flesh. So we try to walk by our, our might and our power and our focus, and we try to will ourselves to it. And I think we will all say that that's a losing proposition in the long run. So Paul says, no, be walking in step with the Spirit. They don't have track and field days the way that they used to when I was growing up. They just don't. Because we had things that could, you could really get hurt, and it was awesome. And one of those was the three-legged race. Right, you... I don't know who thought, hey, let's get a couple of second graders and tie them together and race them. <laughs> but that's what they do. They tie their legs, we tie our legs together, and, and then you got people who aren't working together, and one of them's falling and like his knees twisting this way, and the other one's dragging them along. Like if I was going to lose and my partner wasn't, I'd drag them. I didn't care. I'm dragging you. And that's what our Christian walk is like. Like, we're supposed to be in step with the Spirit, and we fall out of step. We chase our own desires. We chase our own walk, and we're flopping on the ground, and he's, like, dragging us. Come on. You're going to get there whether you like it or not. Come on. And instead of footprints in the sand, it's like body prints being dragged <laughs> in the sand. We're supposed to walk in step with the Spirit. And the more that we do that, the more we won't gratify the desires of our flesh. Because the thing that's, that, that's the, the comparing and contrasting, the contrast of the works of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a believer in Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit resides in you. If you believe that he came to earth, born of a virgin, which we celebrate in this season. 
that he lived a sinless life, that he took our sins on the cross. He died with them, but death could not hold him, and he conquered death, and he rose again, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he is Lord over everything. He inaugurated his kingdom, and it continues until the fulfillment of time. If you believe in that, then the Holy Spirit's in you. So when we read about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all of these things, we're not, I, I don't want us to look at them as something that we have to attain, as something that we have to grasp. Because the potential of each fruit of the Spirit is already in you. And it's not about getting better at one fruit over the other. So it's not this thought that, well, I'm a pretty loving person, but my self-control needs some help. So I'm just going to really work on my self-control, right? You should, but as a fruit of the Spirit, that's not how we look at them. What you have to understand is that fruit grows where it's watered. A couple summers ago, we were uh, in, in our backyard, kind of middle of summer, end of summer, and underneath our deck, a plant was sprouting up, and we didn't know what it was. And we watched it for a while, and all of a sudden, little fruit started to appear on it. And it turned out it was a watermelon plant. So what I think happened is we had been eating watermelon a couple months before, and we just spit some seeds over the side of the deck, and then it got watered, it established roots, and it just grew. We never watered it. We never took a hose to it. The rain did. We didn't cultivate it. We didn't, we didn't put fertilizer on it. We didn't do anything, and it just started to grow. And so for a couple of summers, we had some mediocre watermelon growing in our backyard. And then a couple years ago, it started again, but it wasn't watermelon. It was tomatoes. And I have no, it's, and, and we were not sitting on the back of the deck spitting tomato seeds off of the deck. I don't know how it happened, but now, coming into the winter months, the fall months, we just have this tomato plant growing everywhere under our deck. And you can only eat so many tomatoes. See, but fruit grows where it's watered. Because, you know, we go a few weeks without water and the plants dry up and turn brown. And so when we think about the fruits of the Spirit, it's, it's almost like a, a cause and effect between these two things, between the works of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. Right? Sin is caused by your flesh, and the effect is lack of inheritance in the kingdom. An unrepentant sin, somebody who's never turned and given their life to Jesus Christ, has no inheritance in the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit is caused by walking with the Spirit, and its effect is love, joy, peace, and all the rest of them. And how we live our lives is dependent on what side we water, simply put. So you have the works of the flesh, you have the fruit of the Spirit, 
And so you can do all the same stuff that we've always done and live in the same sin that we've always lived in. And that side will get watered and it will get strong. And all of a sudden, you won't know what's up from down, what's right from wrong, and you'll justify everything. And then over here, if you walk in the spirit, if you water that part of your spirit that connects you to God, right, then the fruit of the spirit will grow in you. And we want to be people who are producing fruit. And so here's the point that that I'm trying to make. All of the fruits of the Spirit, they're outcomes of living life by the Spirit. So if you live your life with the Holy Spirit, if you live your life led by the Spirit, then your life will naturally become a life full of love and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's not about saying, I want, I'm just going to seek after more joy in my life. I'm going to seek after more love in my life. That's not necessarily wrong, but that's not how the fruit of the Spirit operate. Because uh, look at this, can I be loving without being kind? Can I be good without being gentle? These are all intertwined. And so the more we live by the Spirit, the more loving we become, the more joyful we become, the more patient we become, the more kindness. And yes, yes, some come easier than others because the more that you live by the Spirit, it will just naturally become your life. And, and some are more easier than others. Like for some people, having a lot of self-control is really easy, but maybe having peace is not. But you don't just try to get more peace at the expense of self-control. You just say, no, I just want more of you, Holy Spirit. And the more of you will produce more of this good stuff. See, uh, and so how does this relate to the gifts of the Spirit? Right, the gifts of the Spirit are given to us. And the fruits of the Spirit are products of living a Spirit life. Right, so on, on one hand, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that he gives them as he wills. That, that we, don't, we, we can pray for things and God can answer our prayers, but the Spirit still gives them as he wills. And the fruit of the Spirit is more about this, this cohesion, this, uh, this partnership with God. And the more that we partner with him, the more love, joy, peace and all of those good things that come out of our lives. So if you sit here and you, you read this list about the fruit of the Spirit, and you say, well, I don't have all of those. I don't have kindness. I'm not gentle. The, the, the answer is not, I'm just going to try to be more kind. The answer is, Holy Spirit, I'm going to walk with you more so that you produce kindness in my life. I hope you're understanding the difference. Because we're talking about joy, which is the fruit of the Spirit. And biblical joy. This is say, I've said this, and now I'm kind of backtracking on it, because I don't know if it's necessarily true. Okay, have you heard it said, well, happiness and joy are two separate things. 
Or happiness is just this uh, fleeting emotion that comes and goes, but joy is supposed to be something that stays there forever. And I agree with that, but I also don't agree with that. Because part of being joyful is being happy. Like, part of having this joy, and yes, the joy doesn't end and it's not uh, look, the, the Bible says that there are many things that bring gladness and happiness and joy. And a lot of them uh, are in, the, uh, in the Old Testament are, are uh, specific to their culture. So abundant harvest and the land. For the, mo- for the most part, none of us get really excited when corn has produced really well this year. Right? Or, we're, or, or we're thinking, man, the, there, is, there are so many more tomatoes this year than any other year. Some of you who garden are like that, but most of us, we're just like, yeah, I'm just getting whichever ones are at the grocery store. But that was a cause for joy in theirs. Wine, oil, and bread, this picture of a meal, of, a, of just this good meal of God. It, those bring joy and gladness to us. Jeremiah 33 talks about wedding. Proverbs 23 talks about children, right? There's all these different things that bring joy. But here's the reality. Joy is the reality of a life lived in the spirit because joy springs not from circumstances, but in our hope in God's love and promises. I didn't come up with that. I think I got it off of a Bible project video. I don't remember at this point, but I'm pretty sure it was. Right, the joy is a natural outcome of us living by the Spirit because it's not about what's going on. Because the command in the Old Testament was to have, for them to have joy even when the harvest wasn't abundant, even when the oil and bread wasn't present. So we're supposed to look beyond our circumstances It's not determined by our struggles, but our future destiny. And Jesus comes and he presents a different type of joy when he's teaching his followers. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, when all of this stuff happens, when you have a meeting, when your boss tells you how you're not doing a great job, when you feel like your spouse is angry and there's nothing you can do to get right, I've had conversations where people come and, and they say things and we've all had them. Jesus says, have joy in all of that because you're not alone. Have joy because people have been doing this since the beginning of time. And now you're just lining yourself up with what Jesus went through. He presents a different kind of joy. And it's acted out in Acts chapter 13. Uh, the, the apostles are going and they're preaching and the Jews aren't liking it. And the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. 
If I'm getting driven out of a city, I don't know how I'd react, but I don't think I'd be happy about it. But they shook the dust off of their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Like shaking the dust off of your feet was, was like a real action. It wasn't metaphorical. They would go to the outside, they would shake the dust off their feet, and as they did that, it's like everything else melted away. Like all the persecution they went through, all the struggle that they went through is getting kicked off of them as they kick the dust off their feet, and then they're going on to their next stop, and they're full of the Holy Spirit, and joy is overcoming them. And we have to be able to live in those places because we have to acknowledge our hardships. But Paul says that we can be sorrowful yet with joy, always rejoicing. Look, when you have hope in the midst of hardship, it's a sign that the Spirit's with you. If you can be in the midst of a difficult time and a struggle, and you say, but there's something better coming. I just, I have this this sense, this feeling Or if you can even say, I don't know if there's something better coming, but I trust that God has something for me. That I'm not supposed to stay in the valley of the shadow of death all the time. That sometimes I'm going to have that table before my enemies. And he's going to anoint me till I overflow. That's the sign of the Spirit. And so what steals our joy, especially at, at this season? What are these thieves of our joy? First is just sin. Because repetitive, constant sin leads us to guilt. So I, I am, I'm thankful that, that Jesus forgives us of our sin when we truly repent and turn from them. And he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That though our sins are like scarlet, he makes us white as snow. But if you find yourself in repetitive sin, and you find yourself living joyless in life, they might be connected. Comparison, especially at this time. Comparison is the thief of joy. That was said by Teddy Roosevelt. I remember being a kid and Christmas Day around 2 p.m., right after lunch, all of a sudden all, the, all my friends start coming out of our house and we'd have in our hands whatever we got for Christmas that morning. Some of us, some years we'd ride out on new bikes. Sometimes it was a remote control car. And, and it's, it was very, it, it, we would go and show off, here's what we have, here's what we have. That was good and it was fun, but sometimes you'd look at somebody else and you'd be like, they got a Nintendo? I got a remote control car. This is horrible. My parents don't even love me. What's going on? They have a TV in their room now? We don't even have cable. Like, what's happening here? But when we start to compare, and this is just in general, it, it happens a lot at the Christmas, but this is just in general. When we start to compare ourselves to others, man, 
You're, you're, you're never going to live up to your comparison metrics for other people. Right? The, the best way that I've heard it put was that you should compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who someone is on their best day. Because that's generally all we compare them to. Right? This comparison thing, and the disciples got into it all the time. Jesus, I want to sit at your right hand. I want to sit at your left hand. I'm the best disciple. I'm the greatest disciple. They're always getting into this argument. And, and Jesus has to, has to chastise them over and over. And in Luke 22, he says, look, the Pharisees lord it over one another. But not so with you. If you want to compare yourself, he says, rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves? He says, if you want to compare yourself to one another, it shouldn't be a race to the top. It should be a race to the bottom. Because the more you race to the bottom, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, uh, in the magnificent that, uh, that Amy referenced, all of it is about kings being brought low and God exalting the humble among them. Him sending the rich away with nothing, but the poor come and are filled and their bellies are filled and their spirits are filled. This is the, the way that Jesus works and operates is that he goes to the lowest, so we should be having a race to the bottom. And the final thing is what we talked about last night, so I'm not gonna rehash it a lot. But when we get our eyes off Jesus, this is the, the number one. Paul says at the end here, he says, and all who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That you belong to Christ Jesus and so we crucify the stuff in our lives. These passions and desires that war against the flesh or against the spirit, excuse me. We war against these things because it is when the shepherds came. Uh, actually, when the wise men came, they come to Herod and they've been following this star and they get lost. And, and they don't see it for a second and then they lose sight of it, but in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The, the possibility that this was the Messiah that they've been waiting for. They had been watching the stars for centuries. And all of a sudden, as they're watching the stars, this anomaly happens where there's a star that's in exactly the right place where it should be, but it's not normally there. So they know, okay, now it's time. This is what we've been waiting for. 
And when they figure out that they're close and that they're near, their, their response was exceedingly, they rejoiced exceedingly over and abundantly with great joy. And then that joy led them to worship because in going into the house, they saw the, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed and went to their own country. So they pursue Jesus. They rejoice when they find Jesus, and then it leads them to worship and giving everything they have to him. You see, Christmas joy, it also happens with the shepherds. The angel says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I bring you the gospel, is that that word? I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus is the centerpiece of our joy. So if we want Christmas joy, that's the first step. Make Jesus the centerpiece. Make him the focus. If you want more Christmas joy, live in step with the spirit instead of in step with the world. That's basically what this whole message series has been about. It's been about, hey, this is what the world tells us this season is about. This is what the world tells us this, this time is about where our focus should be. And, and us saying, no, I, I rebel and reject that. And I'm living in step with the word of God, being led by the spirit of God. And so the more we do that, the more we find joy in this season. And look, joy is the product not the goal. The goal is life with Jesus. The goal is living by the Spirit. And when you do that, the joy will follow. So I don't know what this looks like for each of you. I don't know what it looks like to make Jesus the centerpiece of your joy. I don't know what it looks like for you to start living in step with the Spirit or to begin to understand that, that as you do that, joy becomes the product as Jesus becomes the goal. But you have two days to practice, right? Before Christmas season ends. Maybe we can extend it to New Year's, so a week. But you have a week to practice this during the season. So I don't know if that changes the way you open gifts or it changes the way you talk about the, the, the material goods you receive might just be identifying this is the stuff that, that takes away my joy. And so I should stop being around that stuff. I should stop doing that stuff, being led by the Spirit. So to close, like, do you have the Spirit? Is, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to which he then gives the Spirit as a down payment for our future inheritance. If that's not you, there's no better day. There's no better time. And for those of us that have the Spirit, 
our, what steals our joy, what keeps us from that fruit of the Spirit being in our lives. Is it sin? Is it comparison? Is it getting or focused off Jesus? It's something completely different. What steals your joy? And then finally, how can you live in step with the Spirit to have joy? Because you can live in step with the Spirit when things are easy. You can live in step with the Spirit when you're experiencing victory. And you can live in step with the Spirit when things are hard and it seems like you're being defeated. Living in step with the Spirit is something that can go through any circumstance, through any possibility. And the more that we do that, the more that the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, are produced in our lives. So I want you to think about that as we end this morning. Why don't you stand with me? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, I don't want to live a life that's ruled by my flesh. I don't want to live a life where I'm doing the things that I don't want to do. I want to live a life fully and completely devoted to you as king that you are high above every other, every other thing that has a name, Ephesians 1 says. And I want the Holy Spirit to, to help me live a life completely given over to you. I want the Spirit to to help me live a life where my desires begin to line up with your desires and the things you want from me are the things that I begin to walk in, Lord. Jesus, I want to have experiences with you like the wise men who when they experienced you, they rejoiced with exceedingly with great joy and then they bowed down in worship. I want to have experiences with you that, that keep me rooted in your love, Lord. That it's not just something that's in my mind. It's not just something that I think or that I, I know, but it's something that I feel. It's something that I experience. It's something that's real and tangible to me. Father, I just pray that as Jesus is our goal, that all of these other things fall into place. Love you and thank you in your name. Amen.
trust him at all times he has delivered me from all fear he has set my fate upon her Father, you gave light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Jesus, you came to destroy the works of the devil. You came that we may have life and have it abundantly. You came to seek and save the lost. 
You came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. All of these things, this great culmination in all of history found in Jesus started in a manger. And so I thank you, Jesus. I thank you. Thank you that you came. I thank you that you've brought hope and joy and peace. I pray that it's something that we feel and experience. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.